Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's time for TSM Press Box. Opinions, analysis, and the occasional awkward silence. Here's your host, Jonah Siegel. Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50%. Welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to another episode. Believe in the press row. Jonah Siegel on a very Sunday, very sunny, not Sunday, excuse me. Uh, what are we? Thursday. I've been all over the world. I don't know what day it is. It's Thursday here in uh, the greater Seattle area, Puget Sound. Very happy to be back at you. It's been a crazy couple of weeks for me. I've been on the road a lot. I was in Las Vegas. I was in North Carolina. Um, but I am, uh, I love talking to all my guests, but I got to tell you, uh, I've not been this excited to talk to a guest in a very long time. And that's no disrespect to any of my previous guests. He is joining me from a place that's near and dear to my heart from Ann Arbor, Michigan. You have heard him literally everywhere if you're a sports fan, either baseball or hockey, surprisingly. We'll, we'll talk about that. He is John Paul Morosi from MLB Network. John, how are you? Jonah, I'm outstanding. Hope everything is well for you and your family in the great city of Seattle. Uh, big fan of your work, and so really excited to talk to you here today. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you, we, we have a lot in common. Um, you know, you went to Harvard. Uh, I went to Harvard of the North, the University of Vermont. Um, here's something you didn't know. Uh, we both have majors that we've never used a day in our life. We are both <laughs> environmental studies majors. I was an ENVS student in Vermont. You were at Harvard. Uh, I can see you've used it equally as well as I have. Um, I will tell you that my first job out of college was with the Detroit Pistons just down the road from you when they, they had bought the Detroit Vipers hockey team. The first visa that got issued for me uh, had to rely on that degree. And my title for immigration purposes to get me my visa had me as the water quality, ice quality water tester. Because <laughs> they could not find anybody in the great state of Michigan other than me to do that job. Um, Incredible. That was back in the Sergei Samsonov era, right? That's right. So that was my last year was, was his. We had Peter Sikora. We had Kevin Hatcher. And we had fellow uh, Harvard alum Pete Savaglia. I'm not sure if you know Pete. Um, championship team, of course. You know, I speak to a lot of people who have really interesting backgrounds that brought them to where they are today. Um, I got to tell you, you, you win the prize. Um, not so many people know this, but, you know, you grew up in Michigan where you are now. And, and feel free to jump in and correct me, but you, you grew up in Michigan, all five, eight of you playing high school football, of all things. Um, Correct, yes, <laughs> and, and, and ended up at Harvard, you know, forget lightning and you got to be good to be lucky, but how did you end up at Harvard? That is a great question, Jonah. And uh, as, as we discussed a bit off air, the odds of anyone 
getting in there are so remote that that to describe the answer beginning with any other words other than I was very lucky uh, is, is a little disingenuous because it is an incredibly lucky process just to get in. Uh, you know, I grew up in a small town, my, my hometown. I was born in Marquette, so I was born in the UP. And then I grew up in the Bay City area. I, I went to high school in a, in a town called Essexville, Michigan, which is literally 1.3 square miles. And uh, I wrote my essays uh, really without thinking about how I was presenting myself. I wrote about the things that had shaped my life and, and who I was. And so I wrote two essays. One was about my high school football coach. And the other one was about Tiger Stadium. And without really again, conceiving of this in any sort of sophisticated way, because certainly at 38, I'm not sophisticated, nor was I sophisticated at all when I was 17. Uh, I, I probably, when that application crossed the desks of the admissions department, they probably read it and said, oh my gosh, this 17 year old from Essexville typed all these essays uh, himself. And, and I actually used my parents' Smith Corona typewriter <laughs> to actually, and had to use correction fluid when I screwed up. And so I was just me in, in the application. And I think that's whenever I speak with young people and, and I still to this day interview kids from the area who are applying to Harvard. Um, and whenever anybody asks me about the admissions process, which obviously that the whole separate podcast, we could get into it. But I always just suggest to the kids I speak with and even their parents, just be yourself, be yourself. I, I can't promise you that you're gonna succeed in this application process because it is, the odds are so remote and I stress, and I'm going to stress to my own kids as they get older, you cannot tie up your sense of, of self-worth or, or validation. And if you get in or not, because the odds are so remote that you just, you can't do that to yourself. And so I, I really think I just, Jonah presented who I was and, and I was lucky that I had a tremendous guidance counselor, Joan Douglas at Essexville Garber high school who helped me out a lot. My parents encouraged me. Uh, my dad went to Michigan state. My mom went to Western Michigan. So we were a Michigan family through and through. And there was a lot of trepidation. I think on my parents part about me leaving the state, much less going to Harvard university. And so there were a lot of uh, misgivings maybe on our part about if we really belonged as we were guiding our Ford Windstar through Ontario, actually, to get to, to Boston to move in. It was a different world. And yet, Jonah, I felt very comfortable there. It was much more reassuring than I envisioned it would be. My classmates and my dear friends were much more normal, quote unquote, than I thought they would be. Um, and I really found that there was very little of the pretense that you would have associated with that experience. So I was incredibly blessed to go there. My parents encouraged me to, to pursue those dreams and, and to really just be my authentic self when I was there. And as for the football experience, and that was a, probably a part of my application. When you're a five foot eight slow quarterback, you really can't do much. And so you had to be adaptable, you had to learn the game, had to be tough, I suppose, in my own five foot eight way. And uh, we were not very good, Jonah. We were two and 16 in two years. So I, lo I lost every single game my senior year, 0 and 9. And so when we talk about the building of character that comes with losing and, and, and how to speak to an athlete who's had a tough time, I would say, Jonah, I was pretty well practiced in that because I lost a lot. And so I, I'd like to think that some bit of that empathy and perspective, I hope, has made its way into my broadcasting as time's gone on. Well, there's, there's things that 
I really admire about you, and I'm not just saying it because you're my guest right now, but one, I, I totally agree with you. I think that I tell, I, I, I work with a lot of kids as well and give advice, especially as it goes around college applications. And unless you're in that top echelon going to a Harvard, a Yale, a Stanford, um, I tell them the same thing all the time that truth be told, it really doesn't matter where you go. It matters much more how you do. And with the exception of an unbelievably different, well-connected alumni association, go, go learn, like go learn. And you're going to learn as much about yourself and the world outside of the classroom as you are inside the classroom. But what I admire most about what I've read about you in the last couple of days is that you don't actually aspire to the, the old notion of you can do anything you want. Um, you could not be an NFL quarterback as your dream was, uh, irrespective of brains and effort, which you had both. The reality was, no matter what you did, um, you, that was not going to happen for you. And I've read on numerous occasions that your message is, it's actually much more important to be open to adapt to new things and other possibilities. Uh, and I think that is the quintessential advice to give to anyone. And I said to somebody this morning, everything does indeed happen for a reason. Uh, and when you get the, the lousiest of news, that reason may not be apparent, but it does eventually turn out. And I really admire the fact that you say to people, you know, especially younger kids, keep your, keep your mind open to possibility. And I think that that's really admirable and, and something I really respect. Well, thanks, Jonah. I appreciate you saying that a lot. And, and I just credit my parents with, with giving us that curiosity. I have two younger siblings and, and we talked a lot at dinner. I think about how we grew up and, and you and I have, have similar ages and, and we have kids uh, who are growing up in, in this new world that is so unfamiliar in so many ways to the way that we grew up. And I really think that one of the most important things, we're actually speaking here on Jackie Robinson Day and, and on MLB Network today, I, I shared the story that actually, I think on the, on the shelf behind me, you see the, the photo of the T-ball the team that I had coached a couple of years ago uh, of my oldest daughter, Gabriella, who's now eight. And our team name was the Dodgers. And I, I asked at the end of the season, uh, I sent an email to Billy Bean, who's a VP at MLB, a tremendous friend of mine, great person. If, if there was anything that I could share with the kids about Jackie Robinson to be able to sort of bring the, the season mm -hmm. to a close and, and, and have some educational aspect of what we were doing. And really incredibly, uh, MLB through Billy sent me the, the book written by Sharon Robinson about her father. Promises to Keep is the name of the book. And it's an incredible book. Uh, I think certainly for young readers, it maybe requires some some guidance from an adult about just the story of what Jackie went through to offer that context. But I remember just thinking about, first of all, Billy and Sharon being so gracious to, and Sharon actually signed all the books. It was remarkable. I, I, so I'm a beyond with gratitude about, about being able to share this with the kids. But really, Jonah, just those, those messages of, of what sports represent, why we're here, the, the ability to learn and be curious and be a teammate, those lessons that I know for parents like you and me who want the best for our kids, it's a difficult world to navigate, even aside from COVID, because you've got technology, you've got social media, you've got competitive youth sports at the highest levels. And, and you think about those pressures to 
gosh, I want my kid to have this opportunity. I want them to play on this soccer team or have chances down the line. And it, it takes a lot. It takes a lot to say, no, thanks. We're just going to take it slow. And we want them to just enjoy and appreciate the time with their friends. A lot of tough decisions that we have as parents. And I think whether you're in Canada or the U.S., there's no more important job right now than being a parent because we have to bring them up with, with those community-focused ideals. And I think as we speak on Jackie Robinson Day, that's really what a lot of this is about, being thankful for his example and, and looking at the mirror every day saying, what are we doing to continue that example forward? And, and to your point, that adaptability, there are certain things that will always work, I believe, across fields. When I think about what my siblings have done, what my parents do, and I still say that being a great teammate is the most important. If you're reliable, if you look to share credit uh, with your colleagues, if you're dependable when your boss or when your teammates in a pinch and you can come through and help the team and not ask for a bunch of credit afterward, I'm a believer. Again, maybe it's my roots in Essexville, Joe, in a pretty small town, but that but that's how we were brought up. And, and I'd like to think that certain ideas like that, that I was blessed that my parents gave me still apply to this day yeah, as I said like I've read a lot about a lot of people and uh I just I, I love the notion that you're not afraid to say to people it's probably not realistic to think that you're going to get to achieve the dream because the dream that most people have just isn't that easy to achieve um and and, and inspiring people to have an open mind to possibilities I just think it's really authentic and, and it's really important. And, and again, I, I just think it, it's awesome. Uh, I'll tell you for my own self, when I, when I go to hire people, the first thing I do when I look at a resume is I go right to the bottom, the last page, whatever that is. And I look to see if there's team sports or team activities. You know, it's great if you can play golf, but it's great if you can do other things and how smart you are. But I look to see whether they've participated in team environments one way or the other. And that could be the science club. It could be the chess club. I don't care what it is, but you know, that type of thing is so important. You know, you, so you, you grow up in Michigan, you end up at Harvard, you're, you're playing football, you played baseball. Um, and there's this little asterisk that says, Oh, by the way, he also covered the hockey team for the crimson newspaper. Where did that come from? So uh, I'm glad you asked because that really, uh, this probably explains the, the place that hockey has in my heart. Uh, and, and obviously through the years, I've been lucky to be at the rink whenever I have a chance to get there. And, and our producers at MLB slash NHL Network know that, that any chance I have to be at the rink, I'm taking. And so growing up in Michigan during the Red Wings dynasty, and I think about this time of year, April, May, we would play baseball games. And then on the bus rides home back to Essexville, we'd ask the bus driver, Hey, can you put on the wings game? They'd be playing in the playoffs against Chicago, uh, Anaheim, whoever they were playing that year. Uh, and then of course in the cup final uh, many times. So that was my childhood. It was play ball uh, after school. And then when it got a little dark, the wings game would, would be on TV and we'd watch those games. And, and, religiously I could think about the rosters on the teams of course they got close in 95 lost they lost the avalanche in 96 they come back and win 97 98 and those those springs those are very impressionable ages for me growing up and so when I got to Harvard uh, I needed a work-study job and so my first job uh, that I had there as a work-study employee was with the sports information department at Harvard and um, so I'm my first job was initially clerical things in the office, answering correspondence. And then I got to be the shot chart keeper at the men's and women's Harvard hockey games as a freshman. And 
on many of those nights, I, I just am now thinking about this story as, as we're having a very US Canada conversation. Uh, one of my first nights there, I was sitting next to Mike Dryden, Ken's son. Yep. Mike was the captain of Harvard's baseball team. And so Mike, one of his jobs was also to work at the hockey game. So I'm sitting next to Mike and I'm, I'm keeping the shot chart of a Harvard Vermont game, probably a Harvard Dartmouth game. And uh, I remember just talking hockey and baseball with Mike. And uh, those were special years. I remember that year. So 2000, 2001, the women's team had Jennifer Bottrell, had Tammy Shuchuk, of course, two Canadian Olympians. Angela Ruggiero was away. It was a two-year absence for the Olympic team that year. Then she came back and actually graduated with me. So I've always said that to watch Angela Ruggiero play hockey was probably still the most dominant athlete I've ever seen in my life. Uh, incredible uh, student athlete, incredible person, of course, Angela. And now to see Jennifer doing great things on Hockey Night in Canada is really cool because she was an incredible player. I mean, just, I love watching her play too. So, uh, so those were special years watching the women's team, watching the men's team. Dominic Moore uh, was, was uh, one of the Harvard stars at the time. Steve was a senior that year as well, 2000, 2001. And so after that first year, the, the, the beat covering the team opened up at the Crimson. I said, well, I love being at the games and maybe I should get back into writing. I'd written a lot school paper in high school. And so that, that became my routine, Jonah. I would cover the Harvard hockey team in the winter. Uh, and then right after spring break, they made it to the NCAAs three years in a row that I covered the team. They would, they were knocked out in these very difficult losses in March. And then we'd come back in late March, Harvard JV baseball would start. And so I'd play JV baseball in the spring. And so that became my routine, covered the hockey team in the winter and get out and get to wear the Jersey and, and play 20, 25 games in the spring. It was great. I, I loved it. Tremendous experience. Uh, I was there. So I graduated in 04. I'm trying to think of some of the players that went on to the NHL from that era. Dylan Reese played a little bit in the NHL. He was a freshman when I was a senior. Um, just in, incredible guys. Just a really, really fun group. Noah Welch, who went on, actually played for the Olympics, Olympic team for the U.S. in, in 2018. Just an incredible time to cover the ECAC. Chris Higgins was playing at Yale. Doug Murray was playing at Cornell. Just uh, it, That was my introduction to, to journalism. So, so why hockey has such a pull on my heart, it's probably the combination of growing up in Michigan, and then that was the first beat that I covered in college was college hockey. So those ECAC schools, as you well, well know, from Vermont, great Gutterson Fieldhouse, and uh, what a tremendous venue that is for college sports. I, I think some of those uh, barns, as you know, up in the Northeast, whether it's Lina Rink at Cornell or Gutterson at Vermont, Sheila Arena at Clarkson and Appleton at St. Lawrence, these are incredible venues where the fans are so involved. And so for me, the notion of driving on – snow swept roads to, to cover games in the Northeast is a big part of how I got into journalism. So that's why hockey all these years later still has a very important pull on my heart. Yeah. And what people don't appreciate is that those barns, as you so eloquently put it, are akin to the great basketball courts and, and gyms of, of the South, you know, you, you know, in, at Duke, North Carolina, like wherever. Um, Support for our podcast is brought to you by just live a trusted source for high quality wellness CBD and products created by athletes just for you. That's why Just Live came out with their new CBD gummy line. They have six different flavors and functions, including sleep, energy, focus, immunity, calm, and vitamin C. Plus, they're vegan and low sugar. Just Live was founded by professional athletes Clay Thompson, Alex Morgan, Travis Pastrana, and Paul Rodriguez. Because they wanted to create a CBD product they could trust and could stand behind. If you need support with sleep, focus, energy, stress, or immune health, I highly recommend giving these a try. Right now, if you buy one of their gummy products, you get one free. 
There are six different benefits to choose from. And instead of choosing one, visit JustLive.com and use code SUPPORT to buy one, get one free. Buy one, get one free of the new gummy line with code SUPPORT at JustLive.com. That's buy one, get one free at JustLive.com. Use code SUPPORT. I don't think many people appreciate the magnitude or the quality of the annual Beanpot Hockey Tournament. Um, a big part of my audience is north of the border. Is north of the border. It's not well known in Canada, but it, it is probably. I think it. I'm going to duck when I say it. I think it's better than the World Junior Hockey Tournament. Um, speak a little bit about about covering the, the Beanpot when you were there. The Beanpot special, and and uh, again to to fill in those who are not as familiar with it, of course, four Division One universities in Boston all are big hockey schools: Harvard, Northeastern, BU, BC. And so the first two Mondays in February, uh, it's always it's a it's a rite of the the New England sports calendar, similar to the marathon. It's you know exactly when it's going to be. So the first two Mondays in February, the Beanpot semis and the Beanpot final. Usually five and eight are the start times, and college hockey owns the town uh, for, for those two nights. And of course, when I was there and for a long time, it was always you know, BU and BC were the ones that had dominated the tournament for a long time. Uh, and Harvard and Northeastern had gone decades without winning. And now Northeastern's won it multiple times. Harvard finally won it a few years ago. And these games would be just epic, Jonah, double, triple overtime games. And, and the cool thing about it was when you would ride to the arena to then the fleet center, now the TD garden, I would, I would always take the, the train. I would take the T. So you're, you're taking the T from Harvard Square. You, you switch at Park Street. And then you, you as you get closer and closer to North Station, more and more of the, of the passengers are wearing either a BU sweater or a BC sweater, a Northeastern sweater. And, and Harvard, you know, we're over in Cambridge. So, it's, so we're somewhat a little bit apart from, the, from that, that, that familiarity and right being in the city that you maybe experience from BU and BC, of course, on the other end of the same street. That's why Boston is such a great place, Jonah, to fall in love with covering hockey. Cause I would take the tee the to go cover a freelance, a game at Matthews arena for Northeastern or Walter Brown at BU or the Conte forum at BC. And it's all in the same line. It's all in the green line. So you just, these are, these are just stops away from each other. And so to be able to be there in the proximity, you really get to know the other, um, the other schools and their key players, Benny, such, such a great player at uh, BC, of course, his younger brother, Patrick, and, and their father, longtime college hockey coach. It's that familiarity uh, that you really get a chance to experience. So very special. It's, you know, the world juniors is a very special spot in my heart too. Jonah, it's, that's tough for me to compare the two. It's like asking to choose between your favorite kid. Uh, Cause they're both special <laughs> to me, but I'm, I'll tell you this, that Harvard finally made it to the NCAAs when I was there, they won a tremendous double overtime game uh, at Lake Placid against Cornell, the big rival. And I remember Mark Mazzolini, who uh, it was from the, the, North, the Midwest as well from Wisconsin. Maz was being asked about, you know, saying that alums had, had seen him at a luncheon or, or a different event and had said to him, Hey, Maz, congratulations on winning the conference title. It was a great game there at Lake Placid, but now you got to win the bean pot. And so it was almost like elevating the bean pot ahead of the, the conference title, which is a pretty remarkable statement. It's funny. Boston has, you know, you, you, obviously you have the Patriots, you have the Celtics, uh, you have the Bruins, but you've got the marathon, You've got the bean pot and you have the head of the Charles, which are three, you know, massive events that you have to witness. Like if you're a sports fan, they should be on your, your bucket list for sure. And they're not necessarily in 
in key sports, if you will, are the big three. And, and they do them better than anybody, especially when you consider, uh, and I say it easily, like there is nothing like a New England sports fan. No, no like New York is New York. I, I'll take it the Boston sports fan, whether you love them or hate them. Um, their dedication is, is unheralded and second to none, in, in my opinion. Um, so you go through this whole awesome experience, yada, 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 you end up as, you know, one of the top, if not the top baseball writers, now announcers, if you will, media personalities in the country. Connect those two, because we haven't talked about really covering, you, you were playing baseball, you're covering hockey, um, yet you end up around the globe as the, one of the preeminent voices of Major League Baseball. Well, Jonah, you're you're kind of describing me that way. There's certainly a, a lot of others I put on the list ahead of me. I'm just, again, fortunate that I can still do something I love every day. And as I mentioned before, we began here on the podcast, having having a spouse who is a doctor in the midst of the pandemic has given a lot of perspective on, on uh, work in general, what we're all here to do and, and the way that we contribute to, uh, to society and to the overall media conversation. But all that being said, I've had great mentors and, and the first I'll mention is John Lowe, who uh, actually befriended me when I was still in college, longtime beat writer of the Detroit free press covered the tigers and John helped me get to the free press very fortuitously in 06 when they finally made it back to the playoffs and went to the world series. That was a very special year to cover it with John. And then a few years later, Ken Rosenthal, who I had met while I was coming up in the business, Ken said, John, we're, we're looking to add a second national writer at foxsports.com. We'd like, for you to come in and, and join me covering MLB. And so that, that was an offer I couldn't say no to for a variety of reasons. It was just a, an incredible honor to work with Ken. And we talk about teammates and, and Ken, I've, I've shared the story about him before, but I'll, I'll, I'll say it here because I just think it really fits with what we're talking about. Ken could get 95% of the details of a trade. The, the three key players, the player to be named later, the, the money. And I might've maybe the agent for the fourth prospect in the deal texted me and said, Hey, like my guy's in the deal too. And I would say to Ken, I got to confirm that Joe Smith is in this trade too. And at the end of the day, when Ken would tweet the news, it would be sources tell Ken Rosenthal and John Paul Morosi. He would say that in his, in his tweet, I might've had Jonah 3% <laughs> of the actual court information and he would insist on sharing the credit. That's who Ken is. That's why he has won all those Emmys and why he's an even better person than he is a broadcaster. And he's, the best broadcaster. So I, I've just been lucky to be around a lot of great people who have taught me TV, who have taught me writing, who have taught me how to develop and interview people, develop sources, interview people. These are, these are skills that like we talked about earlier, you have to put in the, the time to just learning the craft and, and every conversation helps lead to the next one. Every answer to a question helps lead to the, to the next one that you're going to pose. And, and so I look at it in that same realm of continuing to learn, uh, trying to be as curious as I can be, and just loving the stories of the people. I think, Jonah, that's what's kept this fresh for me. Um, I love analytics, don't get me wrong, but the people stories are what's best uh, for me. And to be able to share the journey and to ask the questions after a game is over about who is watching back home, well, one of the great it's, it's a Scott Oak question. It's an Elliot Friedman question that I certainly have picked up from Hockey Night in Canada over the years. And Kyle does a great job, obviously, now. But those questions with the cup on the ice and, and about who was watching and, and Scott's incredible recall for every junior coach this player has had and where he came from. And Ron McLean obviously does an amazing job from the studio in the same vein. 
those questions are powerful. And, and I've often said that when an interview is over, you know, if, if a player, and this is my own opinion on it, there are probably some producers that disagree with me on it and, and, and that's fine. You know, if a, if a player has a three, one fastball and he crushes it 460 feet, I'm not going to ask the player if he was looking for a fastball at three, one, because the result to me gave me the answer already. And two hours from now, if, if a family is talking about the game, they're not going to say, well, you know, Bob, Bob Smith was looking for a three, one fastball there. Clearly. Well, we saw that he hit the ball four and six feet. But what I'd like to ask him is who's the coach that you want to thank for that adjustment? Who, who was the person that helped you have this opportunity? What did your manager tell you before you stepped to the on-deck circle? Those are things that we can't know. And those are things that are personal to him that I really want to get out there. And some people, again, would say, hey, stick to the game. I don't want to hear a narrative about when their family immigrated to the U.S. 40 years ago. But I'm sorry, that's what I want to hear. That's what I care about. I want to know the, the, the series of events that led to this person standing in the middle of a ballpark in New York City, having had a huge moment. And that's just how I look at sports. Maybe it's my background. Maybe it's the influence of, of watching a lot of Hockey Night in Canada where those questions have seeped into my mind. I just find that most interesting. I, I want to know about the person more than the player, more than what happened in the game. And uh, if sometimes, Jonah, the reality is there are, there are going to be moments where there's a disconnect, where maybe the question is so unexpected that the answer is, is maybe not what I was looking for. I'll take that as a loss. That's I'll, that's a swing and a miss, and that's on me. I'll, I'll take that. But I, I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go out trying to ask a question that I don't know the answer to, and that I think will help the reader, the viewer, depart and turn off the TV and be able to turn to their family member and say, "Listen, wasn't that incredible? He he almost gave up the game 30 years ago or 20 years ago, and look what he's doing now." That, that, to me, that's that's why I still love sports, Jonah. All these years later, and, and what keeps me coming back is uh, stories like that. So I started torontosportsmedia.com almost 15 years ago to blow off steam, to end my day, to take my mind off of two little kids, work, yada, yada, yada. And I did it for myself. And I started the podcast. And people ask me all the time, how do you get guys like John Paul Morosi on your podcast? How How do you break the stories that you do to me, the answer is actually really easy. It's all about relationships and, and treating people well. And that's what I get the sense from you as well. And by virtue of, of asking those questions, uh, you establish those relationships. How important is that to your, to you, to your craft? It's crucial. It is the bedrock of what we do. And I suppose there are two, there are two kinds of, of, of relationship driven stories. One is the scoop about I'm signing with team X and that's an important story to get. The other is team is the, the, the stories about the, the true exclusive experience of the person, the long form interview, the, the, the personal story where there's a lot of vulnerability involved, where it's, or it's about a person's journey that, that the old adage, I suppose now is if, if you can confirm the information two minutes later with, with a tweet that effectively says the same thing once your source gets back to you, we can discuss the, the, the validity and the value of that 
of that scoop. Uh, certainly you're going to get more retweets and it's a good profile and it's important. And that, that story is important, trust me. And I, I try to get those stories too. I also look at a story like the, the incredible Drew Robinson story that my friend Jeff Passan told for ESPN. Like that is a story. That is an incredible human story about the most difficult moments of a person's life and, and coming back from that to play a game he loves. That I think the latter, Jeff does both brilliantly. I think the latter one ha has more of an impact. We're still talking about this weeks later. And I think those stories to me, Jonah, they're all relationship driven, they're trust driven. And I, I really think that when the questions are asked with, with sincerity and curiosity, and sometimes we all have poorly worded questions that maybe clank a little bit and don't come off right. And that's just part of the job. We have to accept our own errors and failings in that regard. But I also believe that when, when you're trying to do your best, when, when you say to a producer or someone, hey, I screwed up. I shouldn't have asked the question that way. That was my mistake. I really believe there's a lot of grace out there when you're, when you're coming from a place of, of, of kindness and curiosity and generosity of, of, hey, we're doing an interview on the air. I realize I'm representing MLB Network here. I'm just trying to get your story right. I'm trying to mm -hmm. tell your story the right way and be accurate about it. I don't, I don't want to, to, to be wrong about this. I don't want to mischaracterize your background and what you're trying to say here. So I, I, I find more often than not, Jonah, just trying to take the approach of, hey, let me get this right. Uh, you know, maybe you don't want to be quoted on this, but I, I want to just be as accurate as I can be. Can you help me, help me be accurate about you um, and, and try to, try to convey it that way that we're just, we're in this together to an extent, obviously there's still that professional distance that exists in, in the media and player dynamic. But I think when you come at it from, from the angle of, I'm trying to get this right. I'm trying to share your story the best that I can help me, help me out in this endeavor. And I think more often than not, Jonah, it's been, it's been something that's, that works. I think the, whether it's for me or anybody else, um, I just, I have a genuine interest and really a love for what these players do. It's a very hard job. And I try to always remember how hard it is whenever I'm framing a question about someone who's going through a tough time. You know, we, we live in your, your colleague, your scholastic colleague, Mark Zuckerberg has clearly changed the world. Um, players now walk around with devices that make folks like you uh, the role very different. They can now write their own story. They can tell it on social media. The relationship that, that you have, both with player and executive, if you will, is evolving for sure. And, and owning that relationship, an authentic relationship, is critical. I'm curious about usury. Um, and there are times, I'm sure, and you don't need to give me a specific, that's totally fine, where you know that you're being used for a purpose. So someone should write a treatise on why people become sources and why they tell stories. And, and some of them are victims. He, John's smiling big, you can't see him, but I can. But <laughs> there are sources out there who are victims and they need to get something out. That's one type of source. There are others who do it for various reasons. One of which is, um, for their own personal gain. And I don't mean that selfishly, but in order to get something accomplished, i.e. an agent may call you and say, the Yankees are making us a great offer on player Y. And the reason they're doing that behind the scenes is to try and get the Red Sox to up the ante, as an example. 
how do you evaluate those types of situations? Because I would imagine, given your position in both baseball and now hockey, uh, it comes up a lot. And given the changing landscape, uh, it's got to be more and more challenging. It's a great question, Jonah. And it depends. The answer is it depends. It depends on who the source is. If, if it's someone who, for example, and, and this is just a theoretical example, <laughs> let's, let's, say that, let's say that there is an agent for a player who I've known for a long time. And we've been texting back and forth and over a period of a few months during free agency saying, listen, John, here are, you cannot write this. You cannot print this. Here are three or four teams that are interested in my player. I don't want this out there now because the teams have asked this to be confidential. But when we get to the finish line, I'll let you know. And if I know this person well, if I've known them for her for year, him or her for years, and I get a text on on the night of the the, the deal being consummated, hey, I know I promised you that I was going to get back to you on this. He's going to sign with Baltimore. Yep. That's given the the given the relationship in this story, given the particulars of this case, given the trust. I would at that point you're probably in a spot where one source you trust and you can go with one source there in that particular circumstance, according to my gauging mm-hmm. of the situation based on the context. If it's a case where you've been reaching out to an agent for a couple months every now and then, Hey, can you give me any sense of what's happening with player Z and nothing crickets. Then all of a sudden, Hey, like three months later, a call comes in just so you know, the Yankees are in heavy on him. Maybe put that out there right now. The Yankees are having on them. Well, your antenna goes up like this. This doesn't quite check out here. And so that's when you're going to be a little more diligent in double checking the sourcing on that. And I, I still, when I'm going to talk about a team's interest in a player, will often say to the GM or no matter where I heard it from, it could have been from a, a friend of a player, could have been from an agent, different agent. You never know. Hey, I heard you like this, this player. Just want to let you know. Uh, I'm planning to say this on the air tomorrow. Let me know if you can offer some context or understanding. There's different ways to do it. And, and I, I do think too, you have to be careful because if, if you get the track record of, of, of being out there too often and saying, well, the Red Sox are on him or the Dodgers are on this guy. And if then continually they either don't happen or the reports are dismissed Eventually, it's it's a poor reflection on you. So you have to be careful. You have to be obviously right as often as you possibly can on stuff like this. And uh, it's no one's going to bat a thousand because it is a very difficult uh, reporting uh, exercise. As John Lowe, my mentor, I, I spoke about him earlier. John always says that covering the trade deadline, covering free agency is like trying to write a game story on a game you didn't see. And that's exactly right. You're, you're trusting that, and even think about it, even think about something as objective as a game that you, that we all saw, you might've seen a ball that goes past the second baseman and say, wow, that was a hard hit ball to right field just past the second baseman. I might've said, Hey, he made an error on that play. And if we went and told the next three or four times down the line, which might be by the time I'm getting the story on free agency, the story is totally different based on the same bit of information, quote unquote, interest in a player can be interpreted broadly in different ways. So it's just a matter of being as careful as we can be. We all have deadlines and, and producers saying, hey, do you have something new and interesting on, on this player? We're trying to make that producer happy with new information. But at the end of the day, 
I think it's important for us to remember, Jonah, that, that when you're on the air conveying what you know, Brian Anderson is a good friend of mine, tremendous broadcaster, obviously for the Brewers and for Turner across multiple sports. I think he's one of the absolute best people in the business broadly, any sport, anywhere. Brian told me a great piece of advice that I've never forgotten. He said, when you're on the air, you work as hard as you can from your producing or from your producing and, and verifying information and gathering information before you're on camera. Do everything you can to prepare. But as soon as you're live and the red light is on, you have to be a good servant of the information that you know to be true. And that's just, I've never forgotten that. It's so perfect because I, you know, you're playing offense as, as much as you can to, to gather information. And then your presentation has to be defense, if you will. You have to, you have to say, listen, you know, I heard from these two people that this deal might happen. I was cautioned by a different source that said it might not happen. Just be as honest as you can be, but be a servant of whatever you can write down on a piece of paper that you can tie down to a source as opposed to getting too speculative. Because I, I found in my own in my own career, Jonah, that when I'm when I'm surest of my information, when I know what I've reported and I, I've got it bolted down true, I feel that my delivery is smoother. I feel that I am more authoritative on the air. When I'm kind of a little scrambly before I go on the air, like, wait a minute, what's true, what's not? And, and I start throwing phrases in there like, I think, or might, maybe, might be, then I, then I, I even watch it back and say, that's, that's <laughs> not how I want to be. I want to be able to say, I spoke with a source, I was told this, expect an announcement tomorrow, boom. It's, it's pithier, it's stronger, it's more succinct. When I'm a little less sure, I probably get a little more wobbly with my, with my wording, and it's something that I have to be cognizant of all the time. A couple more questions, because I know you got to run. Quick ones. In Major League Baseball, and you've alluded to it a, a lot, uh, probably subconsciously, but I've noticed in social media especially that you and your colleagues are much more much quicker and much more commonly attributing stories to the competition and i'm putting that in brackets than any other sport now in the nba there's only one source unfortunately uh he gets all the stories but i don't see it as much in the nfl i don't see it as much in the nba i don't see it in hockey but you know i will see a lot as first reported by blank i see that all the time in major league baseball any idea why that is so common in baseball as opposed to the other sports that's a great question too jonah i, I think that first of all we're a lot of us are our friends and have had mutual connections going way back you know, I, i'm a little bit younger than jeff passan we came into the business around the same time we've been friends for a long time so i always credit jeff i always credit everybody frankly and and if there's ever but they time, all do it's not just you right, you're a nice exactly. guy but they all do Exactly. And so um, I, I think a lot of it maybe comes from personal relationships, but also just respect. And baseball is a unique profession in that there is a lot of time, at least in the old days, pre-2020, uh, we would spend a lot of time together at club in the clubhouse, in the press box. It is a time-intensive sport. There, there is a lot of standing around during batting practice, waiting for an interview, a lot of conversation. And so I think that might be part of it where we truly know each other well. We're around each other a lot in normal times. Um, and I, I think two part of it, a lot of us either work at the networks together, whether it's through Fox or MLB Network, ESPN, where there are sort of teammates within teammates. Uh, if I'm on MLB Network, where Ken Rosenthal also works, where Tom Verducci works, where Joel Sherman works and John Heyman, if one of them has a report, Jason Stark as well. 
they may well be on the same show as me. They may well have been on the camera 20 seconds ago. So as we heard Joel say a moment ago, this team mm-hmm. is on this player. It's just, it's a natural flow of conversation. And obviously there's probably in the back of our minds, a little bit of a scoreboard as to who's had more scoops than the other. And that's, that's part of it. But I, I do think there is a, there's a good collegiality among the group. Um, certainly I can't speak really to, to what it's like in other sports, but I, the, the, the overall cohesion, I think of this group that we've kind of walked a lot of this journey together over a, a period of years where we've gotten to know each other pretty well, but I, I think it's just a professional courtesy and respect that, that wears pretty well. I, I really, I believe it's, it's a key part of how we speak to each other. And if we can make our, our corner of Twitter, a little, uh, a little more empathetic and a little kinder uh, and a little more supportive of each other. Then I, th- I think that's, it's probably a good end uh, at, at the end of the day. All right. So two quick questions. I'd be remiss if I didn't say, okay, spring training started. So ended, we're now in the, you know, in the midst of the season, how are the blue Jays going to do this year? Well, Jonah, I, I think, first of all, one of the key things about the Jays is the injuries and and George Springer not being available to start the year, obviously, is a tough blow after an incredibly exciting signing. The recent news about uh, Julian Mayweather being uh, on the IL is tough because he had really come in and, and pitched tremendously well as the closer of the team. So that's that's a tough one. But I, I think overall, if you had told a Jays fan that by mid-April, a lot of the questions about Vlad would have been answered and that Bo would be hitting the way he's hitting right now, you would have accepted that. And so while there are certainly some questions, I I still have some concerns about the rotation depth, but to see Vlad playing the way he is and to see Bo hitting the way he is right now as well. And Grichuk has, I think, been a a solid contributor as well uh, offensively this team has weathered a pretty difficult storm very well. And Kirby Yates didn't, didn't even throw a pitch. So there's a, there are a lot of, there's a lot of adversity they've dealt with very well overall. And so the other key part too, is the Rays aren't quite themselves yet. The Yankees have been okay. Uh, The Blue Jays have played the Yankees tough. And so when you look at projecting ahead, it's the old adage in baseball. And I, you know, we, we can, we can adjust and, and uh, you probably know where I'm going with this. The uh, we can always discuss the merits of different baseball bromides over time, but I really still believe that it's true about not being able to win the division in April, but you can lose it. Mm-hmm. And so if, if the Jays arrived at the end of April and if George has barely played and you've had to go through two different closers and you're still right around 500, a game or two back plus or minus whatever it is in the AL East, I think you have to feel good about your start. It's a solid start, a solid foundation. And then it's a matter of how creative can the front office get at the deadline? Of course, we know Mark and Ross both got extensions. There's some comfort level there. They've got, uh, I think, some some good players coming still in the minor league. So overall, solid start despite the adversity. And I believe that we're going to be talking about a contending team well into August and September. How that ultimately plays out, I think talent for talent, they're probably still a little behind the Yankees. But this has been a, a very solid beginning uh, as I would describe it for the Blue Jays. All right. So faster than easier, I should say Stanley cup playoffs are upon us. Let's hear your predictions. Okay. Um, I, at the beginning of the year, I said Colorado and I, I I've got to stay with them. Um, they're the speed they've got with McKinnon. Uh, I think now certainly goaltending has been a question for them in the past as well. And, and Vegas looks really good lately too. big fan of stone and what he can do. And certainly Petrangelo there gives them a lot of experience. 
But Colorado is just a really, really deep, really, really good team. Love watching Kale McCarr, incredible player. So I, I think that Colorado, just it feels like it's it's their year. Now, certainly out east, Tampa is so good. The goaltending there is excellent. You know, I don't, a lot of buzz about the Leafs. I think they had a good deadline. Uh, I think they're clearly right now the favorites to come out of the north. Um, Winnipeg, I would have liked them a lot better if they had added one more high-end defenseman because they've got one of the best goaltenders, as we know. Hellebuck probably is going to be playing goal for Team USA at the Olympics next year, which maybe we'll, we'll cover that in our next podcast. Yes. Maybe. But, but uh, I, I think that the, the Jets, uh, and we'll see obviously how Wheeler comes back, um, Shifley, I'm a big fan of him. I think that Winnipeg has a, a, a pretty good team, but the Leafs, when they're at their most explosive and, and their deepest, they had a very good deadline. Dubas, I think, did a very good job there. So I think Toronto comes out of the north. They're, they're in the final four, but ultimately uh, I think Colorado's got the best chance of all to win the Stanley Cup this year. Well, I can't thank you enough for joining us. I've got literally 50 more questions for next time. Uh, I'm going to pencil you in for hopefully sometime around the All-Star game when things are somewhat quieter in your world. Uh, he is John Paul Morosi. He is on MLB Network. He covers the NHL as well. His wife is a first responding superhero. He will tell you that himself. Uh, awesome seeing you. Awesome talking to you. And I hope we can have you back soon. Thanks, Jonah. All the best to you and your family. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. And, and as you said, we got a lot of different topics to get to uh, next time we, we visit. So keep up all the great work. I love the podcast and the website as well. So uh, look forward to staying in touch. Thanks, John. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.